Well, this morning, uh, we'll be kicking off a new series through the Gospel of Mark called Amazed. Mark, uh, if you don't know, is an astounding book. It's the shortest of the four books we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and most scholars agree that it's the first of those four to be written. The audience uh, is Gentile Christians, so non-Jews like I am and like most of you are listening to this message. I personally love Mark's writing style. He's fast As you read through it over the course of the next several months, you'll see this. Jesus bursts onto the scene this morning in our text, and then right after this, he's healing and casting out demons and teaching in ways people have never seen before and challenging the Pharisees, and the narrative never really slows down. It's a great book. You should read it. I want to challenge and encourage you right at the outset of this series to spend time reading the book of Mark over and over and over again as we preach through it. It's okay if you're a slow reader. Mark is a shorter book, and so even if you read slow, I'm betting you can get through Mark two or three times over the course of the next several months. Just pick a paragraph a day and work your way through day after day. Start by reading the second half of chapter one this week. We're not going to be able to cover all of chapter one, and we'll jump right into chapter two next week. So just start this week by catching up on what we don't cover. Fast or slow, if you read through Mark over and over again, I assure you that you will grow and you will know Jesus more deeply. So, this morning we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. If you'd like to open your paper Bible there, you can do that. Or if you want to open the Church Center app, all the sermon notes are in there, or whatever the digital version of choice is for you. I'll be preaching from the CSB, the Christian Standard, uh, if you want to follow along with exactly what I have. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 says, This, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark gives us his purpose statement to open up his book. Everything that's about to follow through the whole book of Mark is to tell us about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, right? If you've hung around the church uh, long enough, you've heard this phrase, gospel, before, and we use it in a variety of ways, don't we? Sometimes we use gospel to refer to a book, like I just mentioned, one of the first four in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Sometimes we use it to talk specifically about the life, death, burial, and glorious resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes about the coming of a new kingdom. Sometimes we use it to talk about the forgiveness of sins. Gospel, in its simplest form, means good news. And for Mark, the good news is that Jesus, the Savior prophesied of throughout the Old Testament, has arrived. The one who would come to take away the sins of the world. The one who would inaugurate a new kingdom and sit on the throne of David, who would deliver God's people from their sins. From the outset of Mark's gospel, he shouts, Jesus is here. Pay attention. He's here. Pay attention. The beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Verses 2 and 3 
go on with a quote from Isaiah. It says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Verse 3 is almost a direct quote of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, which says, A voice of one crying out, Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Isaiah 40 verse 3 is a prophecy about someone who we now know to be John the Baptist coming to prepare the way for the Lord in the wilderness. If you've turned there uh, in your paper Bible or you're looking on a screen or in most uh, digital translations, you'll notice that the word Lord is in all capital letters in Isaiah. You might remember uh, from previous messages that in Hebrew, when the word Lord is capitalized, that's the personal name of God the Father, Yahweh, sometimes translated, I am. Do you see what Mark is doing here with this quote? Not only is this the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, but Jesus has arrived in fulfillment of a prophecy that says a messenger will come to prepare the way for Yahweh himself. Mark is boldly declaring that this one who has arrived, Jesus, is God. The arrival of Jesus Christ is the arrival of God himself. Jesus is one with the Father. Where Jesus is, there God is. How Jesus acts, so God acts. How Jesus responds, so God responds. How Jesus cares, that's how God cares. The temperament of Jesus is the temperament of God himself. The good news for Mark was not that a mere man had arrived, a man uh, who might do great things of his own power and sit on some earthly throne and lead God's people in some military victory. No, for Mark, it's much, much greater than that. The good news for Mark and for us today is that God had descended and become man, that he might ultimately go to the cross and bear the sins of the world. God had arrived and a new kingdom was about to take over. Mark continues in verses 4 to 7 then with a quick account of John the Baptist. It says this, John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John's role, according to the prophecy in Isaiah, was to prepare the way for Jesus and prepare a way John did. People came in droves to the Jordan River to hear John's message of repentance for the forgiveness of sins and to be baptized as they confessed. John the Baptist was probably kind of a weird guy even for biblical times, right? He wore this camel hair garment and he had this black belt that held it on and he was nourished by eating bugs, right? Locusts. That was weird even for Bible times, just like it is today 
and honey, right? It's unlikely that he enjoyed many of life's finer things or lived some plush, lavish life, even though he's one of the most famous preachers in all of human history. So why did John live his life in the wilderness like this? Well, Mark doesn't speak specifically to that question, but I think it's because he was called by God to prepare a way for his Savior, and he was obsessed with carrying that mission out. He was obsessed with what, doing what God had called him to. John the Baptist understood what was about to happen and who was about to arrive. He proclaims to anyone who will listen, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he's coming. The Messiah is coming. He's powerful, and I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I'm doing it with water, but he's coming, and he's bringing the Holy Spirit. When he comes, everything will change. Don't look at me, John. Instead, look at him. Look at Jesus. He's coming, and it's good news. If you know that kind of good news like John did, that kind of gospel, and your friends, and your family, and your neighbors, and your co-workers, and even strangers, the people for John who are in the Judean countryside or all over Jerusalem, how can we not, like John, sacrifice everything to tell them? Mark has set up Jesus with some pretty high expectations so far, hasn't he? He said the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. He's the fulfillment of a prophecy that says God himself has come down as man. John the Baptist, who was called and used by God to prepare the way, he was this unmatched superstar preacher, was not even worthy to untie his sandals. He sold out his whole life to tell everyone what was coming. Jesus is coming, John says, and he's bringing the Holy Spirit and this new kingdom with him. The expectations surrounding Jesus are pretty high already, but Mark goes on and raises the stakes for us even more with the baptism of Jesus. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. It says, In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan by John. As soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Jesus is finally present in the narrative in verse 9. He comes from Nazareth and, like so many others, he's baptized in the Jordan River by John. Unlike all those others, though, Jesus' baptism didn't come alongside a confession of sin because Jesus was without sin. Instead, Jesus' public ministry begins at his baptism when heaven itself is torn open and the Spirit descends upon him like a dove and the voice of God speaks, you are my beloved son, with you I am well Pleased. If you've known Jesus for a long time, you're probably familiar with this story. And like me, you might be tempted to gloss over it. Yeah, yeah, we know that Jesus was baptized. We've seen the pictures that hang in some churches where Jesus is looking up and there's some, you know, yellow light shining down and there's a cool picture of a dove. We, we got it. It's all cool, right? Jesus was baptized. But let's just pause for a second here 
and sit on this. Jesus went down to the river and John dunked him. It's something that many of us have witnessed at this point, right? A baptism, the public declaration of the confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and our trusting in him for the forgiveness of sins. We're placing our faith and declaring that publicly in God. Baptisms are amazing, right? It's, it's awesome to watch people declare their faith publicly, but none of us have been part of a baptism quite like this. For this one, heaven was torn open. Heaven was torn open. Picture you're standing along uh, the side of the Wisconsin River, or you're at the beach in front of Lake Wazicha, and people are being dunked. It's a great scene. Suddenly, someone you don't know shows up and goes down into the water. After they come up, heaven is torn open. The skies open, and the Spirit of God comes down like a dove. And the voice of God declares, I am pleased with this one specifically. He is my son. Wow, right? If you're standing there on the shores of the sea like these people were in Galilee, you're probably thinking, whoa, we better pay attention to who this is. Mark is putting the exclamation point on the dramatic introduction of Jesus. One commentator said it like this, Mark leaves no doubt for his readers as to who Jesus is. God's voice declares that Jesus is his messianic son. The one we've been waiting for is finally here. The one who will come to take away the sins of the world has arrived. The hype around Jesus as Mark begins is staggering, right? As readers of Mark's gospel, we should be glued to the page, wondering what's going to happen next with this guy. Well, verses 12 and 13 go on, and he's immediately driven into the wilderness by the Spirit, where he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. Verses 12 and 13 say this, immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels were serving him. A few weeks ago during our lament series, we were reminded of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, which says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need." Jesus experienced deep temptation in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry. He knows what it is to feel the draw towards sin. And yet, he didn't. For 40 days, he was tempted by Satan himself. And he didn't waver. He didn't falter. He didn't crumble. Not once did Jesus give in to temptation His temptation in the wilderness demonstrated his power over sin and Satan, but it did more than just that. It showed the length that Jesus was willing to go for humanity, for you and for me. He didn't have to endure what he did, but he wanted to. He wanted to. God didn't have to do any of what we're about to see in the book of Mark, but he loves people and he pursues us And he empathizes with us, not just from afar, like someone who kind of understands what you're going through, like I kind of know what that's like, but, but as one who experienced life 
and temptation just like you and I. In his book, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers, Dane Ortland writes this. He says, Jesus is not Zeus. He was a sinless man, not a sinless superman. He woke up with bedhead. He had pimples at 13. He never would have appeared on the cover of Men's Health. Isaiah 53 says he, he had no beauty that we should desire him. He came as a normal man to normal men. He knows what it is to be thirsty, hungry, despised, rejected, scorned, shamed, embarrassed, abandoned, misunderstood, falsely accused, suffocated, tortured, and killed. He knows what it is to be lonely. His friends abandoned him when he needed them most. Had he lived today, every last Twitter follower and Facebook friend would have unfriended him when he turned 33. He who will never unfriend us. Jesus was tempted by, by Satan in part so that he could empathize with your temptation. Think about the kind of love it takes to endure that for someone. Think about that. The, the, the Son of God desperately loves and cares for you. He desperately loves and cares for you. He endured 40 days of temptation that he might empathize with you. After Jesus is tempted, he emerges from the wilderness. And John the Baptist has been arrested by Herod, and Jesus goes into Galilee in verses 14 and 15. After John was arrested, it says Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. God's kingdom is here. The time has come. The one who will save humanity from their sins has arrived. What do we do? Jesus says, repent and believe. We repent. We turn from our sins. We turn from our sins. It's the idea of changing directions or canceling our plans. Instead of walking in sin down this path towards destruction, we change our minds. We cancel our plans to go do that sinful thing. We turn around and we walk the other way. This isn't something that we can do on our own, right? We can't muster up the strength or the courage or the willpower to turn from sin by ourselves. It's just not in us. But Jesus is eager to help us repent. When we're walking down that path of destruction towards sin, Jesus is with us and he's pulling us the other way. And he wants to grab us by the hand and speak into our ear, I love you. I love you. Come with me. My way is better. And when we're walking with him and we feel that temptation to turn back towards sin, he does it again. He squeezes a little tighter and he pulls us along with him, walking beside us, working to transform us. We repent. We turn from sin and we believe. We put our trust in Jesus. We entrust him with our lives both here and now and in eternity. We confess him as Lord. We stop living for ourselves and we start living for him. We answer the call that we're going to see in the final section this morning to follow me by surrendering our whole selves to him. And in return, we gain eternity with God in heaven. We gain an intimacy with a father who loves us, who pursues us, who protects us and fights for us, who descended to earth as a man and experienced this life in all its difficulties to forgive us for sinning against him. For sinning against 
him. If you're here today and you haven't yet, I encourage you to respond to this message to repent and believe. Turn from your sin and give your life to Jesus, trusting in the only one who can save you. We've seen the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've seen John the Baptist and the role that he played in declaring the way. Uh, The baptism and subsequent temptation of Jesus and now Jesus' call to repent and believe. And we're going to conclude uh, with a call to follow me in verses 16 to 20. Let's read that together. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him." Simon and Andrew, James and John, out fishing in the sea, casting their nets over the side of a boat or along the shore to try and catch some fish so that they could make a living. Jesus walks by the sea, calls to them, and says, follow me. Leave everything behind, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And they do it. They do it. Commentator Alan Cole says this, both pairs of brothers found that obedience to the call of Jesus Christ was costly. It cost them everything. They left everything behind. It meant abandonment of all they held dear and all earthly security in simple committal to Jesus. Both left all that they had. That, leaving all we have, is always the minimum requirement for the Christian. Jesus calls his first four disciples in dramatic fashion. Leave everything you have behind and follow me and I will make you fish for people. And they do it. They do it. Jesus is making the same call to you this morning. Follow me. Follow me. Maybe you've been a Christian for years, or maybe you're newer to this thing called Christianity, or maybe you're here this morning or tuning in online for the first time, and you're not sure how you and this Jesus thing are going to work out. Well, wherever you are this morning, the call is the same. Follow me. Jesus says, follow me. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The cost is high. It will cost you everything. It'll cost your time, your money, your earthly comfort. It might cost you relationships with your friends and family, prestige or status at school or work. The cost of following Jesus is steep. The first four disciples knew that well. They left behind their family and friends and their only means to an income to follow after Jesus. The cost is high, but the stakes are even higher. If we hear the call to repent and to believe and to follow after Jesus and we respond, right? We confess our sin and we place our trust in Jesus. Our sins are forgiven and we're declared innocent in the sight of God. We experience the benefit of the Holy Spirit and eternal security. We have confidence that no matter how many times we falter and stumble and even fail miserably, Jesus holds us firmly in his grasp. He has us firmly and he won't let us go. 
But if we hear the call to repent and believe and follow Jesus and we ignore it, we keep going on with our lives and casting our nets into the sea and hanging out in our boat, the Bible makes it clear that we are making a very, very bad choice. A choice that will lead to eternal condemnation, separated from God, experiencing conscious punishment forever. Jesus has burst onto the scene in the book of Mark, and the pace of his ministry is only going to increase. But just as he called his disciples from the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus is calling you this morning to follow him. And so as we conclude, my question is this, what do you need to do to follow Jesus more closely? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. We thank you that you saw fit to send your son to bring a new kingdom, to live a perfect, sinless life, to experience temptation as a man that you might empathize with us, ultimately to go to a cross to bear the sins of the world. We pray that by your spirit you would expose in our hearts the things we're holding on to that we need to let go of to respond fully to your call of follow me. We ask that you would grant us the strength to walk with you each day and that you'd carry us when we inevitably fall. Lord, would you meet us in this series through the book of Mark and give us a greater understanding of who you are, who we are, and what you've called us to. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this time together in your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.